as you all know, we are in a series called Overcoming Church and Overcoming Church, which has been super good. I think we're in week three, yeah. week three, week four, I don't know, whatever week we're in. Um, and it's been super good. I want to just hit on this because we're going to continue in this. And today we're talking about overcoming sin. Praise God. Amen. This is like, oh, I'm literally so excited. This has been, for the last two and a half years, the Lord has been speaking this to me, and I've been like wrestling with this and living in this and seeing what we're going to talk about today literally transform my life from the inside out. And there's no place on the planet I would rather be and no thing I'd rather be talking about to you today than this. And I'm so excited about it. Because the problem is, here's the problem is that when I tell you we're talking about overcoming sin today, most of you think I'm going to tell you to just trudge through it. I'm going to give you like five keys on how to self-discipline yourself into becoming a monk so you overcome sin. <laughs> I mean that. I talk to people and I, I tell them, this is just a fun experiment. You go up to people and say, did you know you can live free from sin? And either A, they don't believe you, or B, they think you have to be like a nun or a monk. Wow. And I'm here to tell you today that living free from sin is a normal part of the Christian life. And not only is it normal, it's actually easy. And if you're offended at that, we're going to get into it. Like legitimately, not only is it normal, it's easy. We need that. Not only is it normal, it's easy. And here's why it's normal and easy. Because just as Steve said, just as Andrew said, I'm going to say it again, we can only be an overcoming church when we know what Jesus overcame. And he overcame it. That's why it's normal and easy, because he overcame it. You're not doing anything he didn't, like, you're not walking anything he didn't make a way for. If he's the way, truth, and life, then he's made a way for you to walk in the truth and have life. And you're just walking in it. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Y'all ready? Put your seatbelts on because I have both hands free. Normally, normally I'm like this, and right now, whoo, I feel dangerous right now. I don't, <laughs> I literally do. I'm like, I don't know if I can even handle this. Um, let's just pray as we get started. So, Lord, I thank you for everything that you've been doing this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're here, you're with us. Oh, Jesus, I just thank you for the truth of what we're talking about today, and I thank you for the truth of your word and for the glory of the cross. And Lord, I pray that today it would come alive in our hearts like never before, or that we would walk in it, we would live it, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm also just going to say this, is that if this begins to hit you as we're talking, let it hit you, right? Like, let, you don't have to wait till like a response time to respond. Like, literally, what we're talking about today is so good news, I can't sleep at night. There are times when I literally am just thinking about this and I can't sleep. I'm just overjoyed because it's good news. And good news makes you do this. And you just, you know, when you're like super excited about something and you can't sleep, that's how I feel a lot. Um, and so anyways, today we're going to be in Romans 6. So you can turn there with me. My, my heart today is to read this entire chapter. Probably is not going to happen. That's my heart. And the reason why is because what we're going to do today is we're literally going to read through a chapter of the Bible, and I'm going to try to talk as little as possible. That's my goal. My goal today, actually, my goal today is not to teach. 
It's not to preach. It's not even to convince anybody of anything. My goal is to read the word of God and let it hit us. That's literally it. Because this says it better than I can. And so if we can get this, then we got it. And I think we're talking about this in a future week. But part of an overcoming church is reading the word and standing on the word. And it's important that we know that this is enough. That you don't, need a, you don't need a pastor to preach a message. You don't need to listen to a podcast about this. You can actually read this and it can actually change your life. Um, and that's what's happened. Literally for the last two and a half years, I've been wrestling with this. And it's just changed my life. So um, let it hit you. Even if you've heard it, even if you know it. I love what Peter said when he was here a few months ago. We've said this a few times, but it's just so true. This whole water bottle analogy. Do y'all remember this? Yes, no? So... He talked about how if, if water, say this is the gospel, this is the good news, right? As pastors, as leaders, as Christians, our job is to preach the good news and to give it out. But what we have is we have a lot of people who are holding a water bottle and they're handing it out to people and they stop drinking from it themselves. And so you can actually give water, which is good, and I could give it to someone who needs it, and I could be thirsty myself because I stopped drinking from it. And we see this a lot happening right now. We have people who are burned out. They're, they're just done. They don't know what to do. They're, they're done with ministry. They're done being a Christian because they're trying to give something they're not taking of anymore. And they're not letting the gospel actually impact their own hearts. And it's why you see pastors and leaders falling is because they're preaching a message that's true, but their life doesn't represent it. You, I can give you water that's good water, but if I'm not drinking it, I'll still dehydrate. And so this morning, as we go over this, I don't care if you know the molecular compound of water and you know every single mineral and what alkali, blah, blah, blah this is. If you're not drinking of this, you're dehydrating. And so I want us to let it hit us. Is that good? Yeah. All right. Y'all ready to dive in? Are y'all Romans 6? <sighs> wow. Um, super quick, a little bit of recap. Romans 4 is talking about righteousness by faith. So the Jews could only attain righteousness, and they couldn't even obtain righteousness. They could try for it through the law. But Paul starts talking in Romans 4, verse 4. He says, to the one who works, his wages, what he receives, his wages are not a gift, but are his due. What is that saying? It's saying at the end of the week, your paycheck is not a gift to you. It's what you earned. Right? Can we agree on that? Like if your boss is like, here's a gift. You're like, that's not a gift. I earned that. <laughs> to the one who works, his wages are not a gift, but are his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So if you work for righteousness, you get as much as you earned. If you believe in what Jesus did for righteousness, your faith is counted as righteousness. So actually, through believing in what he did, you receive what he did. Does that make sense? That's Romans 4. Romans 5, now he's talking about receiving this gift. And he's talking about that what, what Adam did in the garden through one man's trespass, sin came to all. But through Jesus' work on the cross, it's reversed. And now we can walk in this gift of righteousness. And now he's saying, he's saying that the law, actually, the way that we were trying to obtain righteousness before, it actually just increased sin. So he's like, you don't need the law anymore. What you need is grace. And grace will lead you to sanctification. And your, your, our response to that should be, what? Just grace? 
And if that's not your response, then we don't understand it because that's how Paul starts this. And if we're not asking the questions that Paul's asking, then we didn't understand what he said. So our heart right now, here's how I want to start this. You don't need a law. You don't need do's and don'ts. You don't need any of that. What you need is grace. That's how we're diving into this. So verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's a question. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Here's how. This is how, this is how you, being dead to sin, can still live in sin. Here's your key to live in sin when you're actually dead to it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? That's how. If you don't know that you, all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death and that we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When you got saved, you were baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do we know this? Like, do we know this? Because, because he says right here, how can you who died to sin still live in it? And he says, do you not know? And I think there's a lot of us who don't know. We think, actually, we think baptism is like, get your grandma, your aunt, and your uncle, and just be like, I'm a Christian now. And that's awesome, cool. But when you get baptized, you're actually, you're identifying with the cross and you're saying, I am dead, I'm buried with Jesus and I'm resurrected with him. This is the first key. The first key to living a life free of sin is understanding that you've been crucified with Christ, that you're dead. Verse five, for if we've been united, everyone say if. For if we have been united, United, that's a huge if. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. How do you get resurrection life? You gotta die. A lot of people right now are trying to walk in resurrection life without crucifying and dying with Jesus. And this is a really big problem. This is why, I believe this is why sin runs rampant in the church. Because people want resurrection life. They want the grace and power of God in their life. But they're, they're not identifying with that they died with Jesus. So the power that God gives them is actually empowering their flesh. Because it's not dead. Because they're not identifying with it. Does that make sense? If you, if you don't identify with the cross and the crucifixion, you can't receive resurrection life. For if we've been united with him in a, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, Lord, help us know this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing <laughs> so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Brought to nothing. Wow. We know that. It's so quiet in here. 
I can hear y'all's heartbeats. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We know that our old self was crucified with him. Do you know that your old self was crucified with him? Here's my question. How much sin did Jesus die for on the cross? How much sin did he take upon him? How much sin did he bury in the grave? How much sin did he resurrect with? How much sin did he resurrect with? (laughs) Thank you all. Let's go. I appreciate the support. Yeah, that's good. It was was kind of a trick. I'm sorry. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. If he resurrected with none of it, and I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, and I'm unified with him. How much sin is Jesus unified with? Interesting. All right, let's keep going. We'll start in verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Praise the Lord. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. When you've identified and been unified in his death, you truly can be unified in his resurrection and his life. And that's some really good news. Because if we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, if we're called to walk as he walked, we're going to need his power. Like we're going to need him to empower us to do it. We can't just do it in our own strength. We need resurrection life. We need power from him to do it. And the only way we get that is by by identifying with his resurrection that this same power that raised the dead, that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of us. But can I tell you that if you don't believe, if you don't believe the cross of Jesus was enough to crucify every sinful thing inside of you, you will not receive God's power. I don't mean that he's not giving it to you. What I mean is that Steve uses this analogy in Heart of Prophecy. I'm going to kind of use it, but a little bit different, right? So if you give somebody a power drill, if you give someone a power drill or a jackhammer that has bad intentions, they can do a lot of damage, right? If, if I had a power drill right now, I could be destroying these chairs. I could just be messing stuff up. If you believe that your heart is still bad, you will not receive the power from God to do what he's called you to do. Because a power drill can build a house. You can actually build the kingdom of God with a power drill and the spirit. But if you don't believe that your heart's right, he'll be offering you a power drill and the, actually the power that you need to build and live out who you're called to be and you won't receive it and instead you'll put yourself under the law because you don't trust where your heart is. The grace of God only works if your heart's made right. The heart that's, the sinners need a law, righteous people need grace. Because if your heart's wrong, you need to be told what to do and what not to do. But if your heart's actually right, you need the empowering presence of God to walk it out. And according to Old Testament and New Testament, the law of God is now written on our, and in our, that's some good news. That's so good. Okay, verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, 
being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. The life he lives, he lives to God. Wow, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? That word consider, it's a math term. It's like reckon. It's like add it up. Do the math. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. I, I have a bone to pick with a lot of times our, our courses and the things that we do to be free from sin, the foundation of them is considering ourselves alive to sin. It's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. Actually, considering yourself dead to sin is this. It's saying, my life plus the cross equals me being dead to sin. My life, no matter what's happening plus the cross, I'm dead to sin. That sounds like, wait a second, that's like heretical, like that's crazy. What are you talking about? Here's the thing. A lot of times, our, I've heard a lot of people that are like having struggles or they're addicted to things, right? They're like, I'm addicted to pornography, so I got rid of my laptop. I did this, I did that. I sleep with this out of my room. I do that. Awesome. Like, I'm not bashing things like that, but here's the thing. What we're doing is we're actually empowering a law unto ourselves. We're saying, because I'm alive to sin, here's what I need to do to be dead to sin. And it doesn't work. It does not work. I can tell you it doesn't work. I've tried every single one of them. It doesn't work. What you're doing is you're saying, because I'm alive to sin, I'm now going to do this to stop sinning. If you're dead to sin, you could have the best opportunity to sin and you won't do it. If you're, if you're alive to sin, you'll make every opportunity to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. It's consider. It's faith. And what happens is your faith becomes sight. Because if you don't consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ, you will make a law unto yourself. It's what Paul talks about in Second uh, Corinthians, no, Colossians 2, 20 or 21. Colossians 2, hold on a second. It's too good not to share. Where is it? Yeah, verse 21. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. So do not, t- do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but they promote self-made religion, asceticism, and severity to the body. So it's self-made religion, it's, it's severity to the body, it's trying to self-discipline yourself into something, but here's what he says about it but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Doesn't work. What works is the cross. And if what you're doing to be set free from sin is not the cross, I promise you it won't work. And you already know that. Because you've probably also been trying for a really long time and it doesn't work. And I've experienced it. And it doesn't work. The cross works. Because Jesus actually crucified it. He actually took care of it. And like, 
when, when you actually get crazy enough to believe that his cross took care of it, <laughs> oh my gosh, crazy. What happens is your faith is counted as righteousness. And what happens is that righteousness starts to work itself inside of you and outside of you. Oh my gosh, we're only on verse 11. Okay, <laughs> verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey it. Does that sound oversimplified to y'all? He's, let not sin reign. Don't do it. <laughs> Paul's solution to sin or his, his charge to you is don't do it. If that sounds oversimplified, it's because we don't understand the cross. Wow. He just says, don't do it. Literally, let, don't, don't let it rain. Don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey it in its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is another huge key. Who are you or what are you presenting yourself to? I love this terminology. Like this is, this is like a word picture. He says, present yourselves to God as instruments, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I talked about this in the youth group. We've been going over Romans 6 for like uh, lots of weeks. We're still not done with it. So that's why it's a very lofty goal to try to do it in one time instruments. Like, Justin, is that guitar tuned? Ish? Okay. You can have a tuned instrument, a righteous instrument that's right and good, correct? Like, right? If you were to hand that and you present it to a two-year-old who doesn't know how to play it, it's going to sound awful. Correct? Is the, is the guitar broken? Okay. But it sounds bad. If I took the same guitar and presented it to Justin, how would the guitar sound? Did the guitar change or did who I present myself to change? And we do this. We present ourselves, like I said, we consider ourselves alive to sin and we wake up presenting ourselves to the enemy as his enemy. We present ourselves to the enemy and say, you're my enemy, but we're still presenting ourselves to him. Present yourself to God. Present your members as instruments for righteousness. Because, because when you've been born again and you identify with the cross, you're righteous inside. But you can still present yourself to the enemy and he'll play you like a guitar and you're living a sinful life and it sounds awful. And you're like, I'm a horrible guitar. I should be a drum kit. I don't know. But you're presenting yourself to the wrong thing. The problem isn't the guitar. The problem is who you're presenting yourself to. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace. What, what was the purpose of the law? What was the purpose of the law? I can't hear y'all. You're like, so... Yeah, the purpose of the law was to reveal sin. And so what happens when we get back under the law, so here's what happens. If I don't believe that because of the cross I'm righteous, if I don't believe it, what I do is I then present myself to the law in order to be made righteous and I continue to reveal in myself sin. 
Let me explain that in a different way. If I don't understand that I'm righteous, if I don't understand who Christ made me and that I have a new nature, I'll actually go from my spirit and work in my flesh to try to be made righteous, but the flesh isn't righteous. Your flesh is crucified. So I'm taking my flesh back off the cross and trying to use it to fulfill a law that's also nailed to the cross. Doesn't work. It's only through your spirit. It's only through believing. It's through faith. And what happens, I want to make this practical because this, you're like, cool, but like, how is this practical? Here's how this is practical. The cross of Jesus gives us permission as Christians to identify ourselves by that and nothing else. And that, that, in its, that is crazy. As Christians, we have permission to identify ourselves with the cross and nothing else. That is like, that is Christianity 101. Even Paul talks about several places, talks about him and his entire identity being wrapped up in the cross. Paul goes far as to say, this is interesting because we oftentimes introspect and we say, yeah, the cross, but my life. Paul says, I know nothing against myself. I wonder where he was looking. Do y'all think if Paul was searching for his flesh to find fault, he could? I wonder if he wasn't looking there, and that's why he didn't know anything against himself. Because he wasn't looking to the voice of the accuser to convince him that he was a sinner. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to forgive us so we could keep living the lives we normally live. He died on the cross to absolutely change us and transform us from the inside out. It is some really good news. And here's what this looks like practically. It looks like I get to look at the cross and take my full identity from that. I get to literally say that he who knew no sin, being Jesus, became my sin that I could become the righteousness of God. This changes everything. Because I don't wake up in the morning trying not to sin. I wake up in the morning and just look at the cross and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I go to bed at night and I literally just laugh. Because I'm like, I'm like is this cheating? Is this cheating? Because I'm not even trying. It just works. It just works. When you understand that it works, you don't have to work. The cross works. Oh man, there's so much more. There is so much more. Again, when I'm telling you that you're not under the law and that God just gives you grace now, in your natural mind, you should be saying, so what? Now I just get grace and now it doesn't matter if I sin or don't sin. He gives me grace. What then? Are we to continue? Oh, are, we, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. By no means. Because if you actually understand and believe that you're righteous and you actually walk in what Jesus did on the cross, you will live righteously. Like you will live righteously. It's not like it doesn't matter what your life looks like. It's like, no, your life actually changes. And this isn't some like 
There's people that are like, oh, believe it and you'll be it, and positive thinking. No, 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 no. This is saying Jesus came and gave me permission for my flesh and every single sinful thought, desire, intention, motive to be nailed to his cross for me to never walk in it again, ever. And here's, here's how you sin as a Christian. Y'all, here's, here's the key to being a Christian but continuing to sin. Y'all ready for this key? The key is you try in your flesh to do what Jesus did on the cross. When you take it in your own hands, when you take it in your own hands, what you're doing, I gave this analogy to the youth. We had this leather jacket. We, we spent like a whole week on this one analogy. We had this leather jacket, and I said, this jacket, it's leather, it used to be a cow. Now it's dead, and now it's a jacket, and it has no life in it. But what we do is we put back on this leather jacket, and we start mooing like a cow, and it makes no sense. But what we do is we put it on, and we empower the flesh in the old man. We, with our spirit that's been made new, we empower the flesh that's dead to do sinful things. It's dead. Take it off. I challenge you, and this isn't like, I'm not like daring you like, I challenge you, literally, find me a single verse in the New Testament that talks about fighting your flesh. (laughs) Fighting your flesh. I've yet to find one. Every single solution for the flesh, put off, put on. Put off, put on. Put off, put on, put off, put on. Because you take it off and you put on Christ. Every single one. And we have have courses, we have discipleship programs, we have all of these things that are all about fight the flesh and do this and do that. They don't work. I'm, I'm that bold to say that because I've grown up in a church my entire life and I've been through so many of them and they do not work. What works is the cross. That simple. An overcoming church is a church that understands what Jesus overcame. And when you, when you walk in it and live in it, it's game over for the enemy. Whoo, wow, it's so good. Um, we could probably continue in this for like five weeks, but I wanna stop here. And what I wanna do is respond to this. And actually, I don't know. Does anybody have a question? Does anybody feel like, what about this? What about that? I'm just curious. Yeah. Why do we need God? We need him for everything. So a lot of times, I remember when I was a little kid, and I actually shared this a few months ago when I preached, a friend told me that we were righteous already, like because of the cross. And I came to him and I said, if, if I don't need Jesus to save me from sin, then why do I need God? And I decided in that moment that I was gonna continue in sin so that I would continue to need him. And I treated Jesus like my lifeguard because the closest you'll be to a lifeguard is when you're drowning. So Jesus pulls you out of sin and he sets you on the side and I'm like, I actually love him. So I dive back into sin to be close to him. And the sign, that we, the sign that we don't know how we need God apart from sin is when you feel the most intimate with Jesus 
after you sinned, when you feel the closest to Jesus in repentance, it shows you you don't know how to relate to him apart from your sin. One time Jesus told me, he said, Wesley, I've called you to rejoice, but you'd rather repent. Because I didn't know how to rejoice. Because I didn't know the truth. You can't rejoice in the truth of the cross if you don't know the cross. So you can't rejoice if you don't have something to rejoice about. So what do we need God for? Literally everything. He is our life. He's our spirit. He is, he is the power that empowers us to live out righteously. He's changed me. And so if, he's my, if I'm a power drill now, right, he's my battery. He's the trigger. He, like he's, he's, the, he's all of it. And, and the key is actually understanding him as my high priest, which is a whole nother sermon. That's like, so right now, in two seconds, Jesus is in full-time ministry. Did y'all know that? He's in full-time ministry to you. You are his target audience. He's in full-time ministry. What he's doing is he's administering, so the Old Testament high priest would take the blood and apply it to the altar. What's the altar now? My heart. So Jesus' full-time job right now, present day, June 10th, 12 o'clock, CST. July, whatever. July 10th. Also June 10th. It's his job the whole time. Jesus is 24-7, full-time job, not 50 hours a week, all the hours of the week. I can't do that math. His full-time job is applying the blood of his sacrifice to your heart. His full-time job is applying what he's done to your life. And what happens is, we get in the way and we try to make it happen ourselves and we don't accept his free gift of righteousness that Romans 5 talks about. And so we get what we earned rather than what he did. And that's full circle. What is your righteousness? There's a verse that talks about our righteousness is as filthy rags. If you work for your righteousness, the best you'll get is filthy rags. If you believe the cross and walk in that, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, man, it's so good. Um, if you want to wrestle with this with me, I would love to talk to y'all afterwards. I've literally for two and a half years been on Romans like four through, I mean, really all of Romans, but Romans four through nine, I've been in for literally two and a half years. So this is a two and a half year message. I've searched, the, I've searched the scriptures, Old and New Testament. And I can't get over this. And the reason why is because it works. <laughs> oh my gosh. How many times have we talked about this in youth group? So many, so many. Because it works. Because it's the truth. Because it's the gospel. And I don't want, Paul starts out talking to Galatians. He says, you foolish Galatians. You started in the spirit and you think now you're going to attain perfection by your flesh? No. It's by the spirit. So can we all stand up? I want us to respond to this. Um, we're just going to play this song. I want us to be, thank the Lord for the cross. This is what the cross is. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that happened on the cross, but this is one of the key things that we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. And so I want us just to play this 
and to just worship to this. We're not listening to it. We're worshiping and responding to the Lord. So y'all can go ahead and play it. And let's let our hearts respond to this as we hear it. Yes, Lord. We thank you for the power of the cross in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the power of the cross in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your grace that flows from the finished work. Lord, that we can live from the sufficiency of your blood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I don't add to my salvation. But Jesus, that what you've done is enough. And Lord, we stand in it and we walk in it. Lord, would you help us, Lord? Would you help our unbelief? Lord, would you grow us in faith, Lord, that we would be so bold as to believe. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing this out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for breaking the bread of your body, spilling the wine.
is such good news, Lord. permission to live from the finished work. Thank you. you have permission. You have permission to live as an overcoming believer that believes. You have permission to believe. You're a believer. You're a believer. You have permission to believe. Like I said, if you want to come talk with me, wrestle through something, I would absolutely love to.